Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Eating, we can all attest, is at the very center of our existence. It is a prominent symbol in the scriptures. Many feasts and banquets and food and we eat to live. Uh, Some of us live to eat. Eating can either be a vehicle of communion with God, something holy, or it can be our way to death, away from God. God gave us the world as a means of communion with him, and he told us to eat. He said, eat. Eat everything except that one thing right over there. You're not to eat that. Well, we all know the sad story about how man took and ate the one thing he was forbidden to eat, and in so doing, he swallowed death, and he became a blind slave to his twisted appetites. Jesus, the new man, he comes along, and what does he first do? He refuses to eat when the devil tempted him to do so. He refuses to eat after the first Adam ate that which he was not supposed to eat. The second Adam abstains from eating in order to untwist our twisted nature, to purify it, to remake it, reorder it so that man can once again eat in holiness. That he could eat worshipfully, not in idolatry. So that man could be free of the love of the world and unholy appetites and desires. After Jesus refused to eat, he did eat with his disciples. And then he prepared for them the true food which God gives from heaven that very food that will unite them to God and make them live forever. Now they are given the choice. Are they going to eat at this new banquet that he has prepared? Or are they going to eat from the offerings that the world gives, which stem from that unholy tree, which so long ago enslaved our first parents in corruption and blindness and impurity, and the stench of death. Well, we're all faced with this choice every day. What shall we eat? What shall we desire? Who shall be our God? In our gospel lesson today, we hear of the parable of a certain man who had made a great supper and he had invited many. This banquet is the banquet of eternal life, our ultimate communion with God. In the parable, The man sends out invitations to a great many, and he tells them that the time has come, things are ready. It is a great joy and honor to be invited to the king's palace, to this banquet, this great feast. You would think that they would drop whatever they were doing and immediately run to the feast. This would be the rational thing to do. But no, as we read, they begin to make excuses why they could not attend. The first said, well, I've bought some land and I need to go visit it. Another said, I have five team of oxen 
and I need to test drive them. Another said, well, I just got married, so of course I can't come. One by one, they refused communion with God. They traded eternal life for a test drive of oxen. How many times do we allow either our desires or maybe our perceived responsibilities, maybe just the demands of temporal life to take the place of our communion with God, to push God out? Even good and God-given relationships, he mentions marriage here, can push God out. I would point out at the end of this passage, it wasn't included in our reading, but just a verse or two later, this is the same passage where Jesus says, you must hate your father, mother, brother, and sister if you are to be his disciple. When our first father ate of that forbidden tree, something deep within man was disfigured. We became, like these oxen in the story, irrational beasts. We were enslaved and driven by unholy desires, appetites. These appetites, like a beast, which just obeys its natural inclination to kill and eat without any rationality, like the beasts, we are controlled through appetites. We cannot see clearly the higher things, the transcendent things, that which is real and true. And this causes a blindness within us. We go through life making one dumb decision after another. All the while, we're trying to fill up a void inside of us, a hunger, a thirst. And we'll never fill that void through our appetites. And yet, for some reason, we still absent ourselves from the very feast that God has provided that will fill the void and bring satiation and satisfaction and fulfillment to us. But the lure of the world is so enticing, our slavery so deep, we cannot seem to free ourselves. We cannot seem to see clearly. Well, that, that, dear friends, is a lie. That is just the way it seems. That is our excuse. In fact, we can be free. In fact, Christ has made us free. He has destroyed the power of death. He has righted man. We are not. We are no longer obligated to our distorted appetites. Not a one of us here who names Christ, who has been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the truth. And it lies in the mystery of our godlike will to either love God or love the world. Well, when the guests in our parable refused to come, the master of the house became angry and he said to the servant, go out into the streets and lanes and bring in the poor, the maimed, the halt, the blind, which the servant did. And he told the master, there's still room. And the master told him to go out even farther and compel them to come in, that his house may be full. And then the parable ends with the word of judgment, saying, none of those first men shall taste of my supper. In the end, it was the poor, the destitute, the sick, the lame, who actually participated in the feast of eternal life. All were invited, but only the poor came 
Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We must all beware of the deceitfulness of riches. Unless we become poor, poor of spirit, bowed over in poverty, recognizing our need, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, we all know when things are going well, when prosperity abounds, we can quickly be deceived into thinking all is well. We have all that we need. We can become arrogant and puffed up, self-sufficient. It's easy to forget God in times like that because, quite frankly, we don't need him at the moment. We're doing just well. We're happy. It is only, though, through our, the cultivation of our dependence upon God a desperation for him, a poverty of spirit. This is the way that we can be saved. This is an internal realization. It's a spiritual poverty. And it's something, quite frankly, that we must work at. It's not just an emotion that we may or may not have. We are responsible for cultivating this poverty of spirit. It is a matter of self-knowledge, of seeing ourselves Truly, as God sees us, we gain this self-knowledge through obedience, through faith, through love of God. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your treasure, your time, your money, your thoughts. The more you pray, the more you want to pray. We all have experienced that. The more you come to Mass, the more you want to come to Mass. The more you serve and give your life, For other people, the deeper your love and your feeling of compassion for other people goes. Sometimes I think that we are like children waiting for someone to come along and make us do the right thing. Well, I have news for you. No one is coming. There is only one that can make you do the right thing, and that is you. This life is not a dress rehearsal. This is it. We have to remind ourselves of that all the time. I think we always think, well, there's tomorrow. Maybe there's another life coming somewhere down the pike. This is it. Today is the day of salvation. God is patient, yes, but we must not presume upon his patience. We must not presume. We must not put things off. We do not know what tomorrow holds. As long as we settle for mediocrity in our love for God we will experience mediocre joy. Immediately after the parable, Jesus speaks a clarifying word to the crowd about what he had just taught them. It's a shocking and therefore memorable statement, and I alluded to it a moment ago. He said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, He cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. These are strong words. They're meant to sort of shake us to the core, make us understand how serious this business of the Christian life really is also to alert us to the seriousness of the war that we are in in this world, the great struggle of our will 
to choose to love God or love the world. Because we have been baptized and received the Holy Spirit, all of us, we are free from the power of death. We are no longer under obligation to the flesh. That is the excuse we like to give ourselves, but it will not hold up. We are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. And we must choose to obey the Spirit. We must choose life and live. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.